Welcome to season two of Witchlit, a space to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. Christine Grace is a longtime teacher of the craft and a founder of the Forest Edge tradition of witchcraft. She is the co-host of the Twixt and Between podcast and author of The Witch at the Forest Edge, 13 Keys to Modern Traditional Witchcraft. She has graduate degrees in theology and mental health counseling from Vanderbilt University. And Christine currently lives, homesteads, and homeschools in the woods with her partner in Witchlets. Christine Grace, welcome to Witchlet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I am so charmed to be here. Ah, I am excited to have you on the show. We were chatting a little bit before, and I already told you that I'm just, this feels like a special treat to have you on. And I always do a disclaimer if I know the person I'm interviewing. <laughs> so Christine and I do know each other. I, I have actually, she has been a personal teacher for me and I am a dedicant in the uh, tradition that she is the founder of. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really extra fun to talk to you. The way I put it was, I'm happy to talk to you. That's exciting. Also, a podcast. Yeah, so it just works out all together. Well, cool. So our first question for everybody, I say R, like I have a mouse in my pocket. My husband does the editing. Well, I so did I think see of it a cat R. walk by. Yes, I do have a cat and my husband does the editing. So I think of it as our podcast in a lot of ways. Um, so why write? <laughs> Why indeed? Um, like why write anything or like why write this book? Um, either. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think why write this book is a <laughs> much easier question to answer. So I'm going to pretend that's what you meant. Okay. Um, well, because it had to get done and um, I was the person who did it. Um, there was... Um, a moment there where I thought it might be a more collaborative effort and I might be kind of the editor of kind of um, kind of more of an edited compilation of materials with like multiple contributors. Um, but that turned out not to be feasible. So I wrote it because I could and I have some background in writing and it needed to be written um, for just for my own, you know, our own tradition um, and for our apprentices and um, yeah. So, and I know a little bit about that story because we were actually talking much more frequently before the COVID times yeah. and all those things when yeah. you started writing. Um, so what was the actual journey to get it published? Look, how did that look? Because I know you had talked about maybe publishing it yourself and there there had been some conversation around that. So what did getting published actually look like for you? Yeah, well, it, that was kind of a, like, that was, I know that the most of the time getting published is the goal when you start writing a book. It was not actually the goal for me. I mean, getting it, making it in a form that's accessible to people was the goal. But people being a very small number of people who are affiliated with the Forest Edge at the time when I started writing, that that was the plan. So, you know, maybe some kind of self-publishing platform or literally even like maybe like a PDF or I, I don't even know what, it, what like the end result was going to look like. But having it traditionally published... Um, you know, by one of the kind of pagan publishing companies that we all are familiar with was not the goal. 
because uh, I didn't I didn't see it as something that had a broad audience. I saw it as a very specific and kind of unusual form of witchcraft, which in the inter it's taken so many years to do this that in the intervening years that form of witchcraft is no longer bizarre <laughs> and like niche anymore. So um, so eventually I kind of got to the point where I had spent years writing this book and I was almost done. And um, I talked to the voices in our tradition who are kind of the council of elders, I guess you could call it, um, about kind of the process and where I was with it and how close I was to being done with it. And that I wasn't really sure kind of where to go from there. Um, And the voices were like, well, I think what you do next is you get it published. (laughs) And I had to kind of sit with that for a minute. And um, then I decided to at least try. And I figured, well, you know, it's not like, it's not like it's a problem if it doesn't work out uh, because I already planned to not. So, um, so if I'm just rejected everywhere and then I go back to my original plan of just having a way to kind of privately give it to people, um, then that's, that'll be fine. Um, and so, so fortunately, um, one of our voices had already had really just very recently been through kind of the publishing process. And so he was really able to clue me in on how that works in the very specific industry of like pagany, witchy publishing, which is kind of different than how it works in, you know, like if you're publishing a novel or something like that. Um, and so I um, just submitted um, the proposal to uh, one publishing company and they wanted some chapters. So I sent some chapters and then they weren't able to get back to me very quickly because by that point COVID was happening. And so people's like boards were not meeting that quickly. And it was just, it was a strange kind of time to be trying to <laughs> publish a book. Um, and so I said, hey, so I'm going to I'm going to send it to the other big pagan publishing company um, also. So I did that. And then almost simultaneously, they both came back with off- offers. And so uh, I picked one and um, there we go. I got to publish a book for real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's exciting. And it's a, a completely I would imagine it is a completely different path to publishing that most people take to go, you know, to go into writing the book with this idea that it might not even be published mm-hmm. publicly, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think it's very different in a lot of ways. And one is that I never really anticipated it having a broad appeal because at the time such like openly animist very folk, very, very non-Wiccan. Um, witchcraft was just not, not like a huge thing. Um, and so I just, I couldn't even really conceive of there being a lot of people <laughs> who would want to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the other thing that made it quite different was that it was not exactly that I was starting from zero because of course our tradition had already existed for many fine years. And so the other teachers and I were already working from materials. 
So that was kind of a blessing and a curse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fact that I had some things to be looking at um, in reference to what I wanted to write fresh. But, you know, I think that could be quite different than if I had just decided, you know, here's a subject I'm interested in and I would like to publish a book on this subject. So now I'm going to sit down and do some research and then start writing. So once the book got accepted and you chose Wiser to publish with, um, did they have a lot of input into what you had already done since you had come to it with this, like, this is for our tradition. Did they kind of go, yes, but we need you to do these things? No. Um, By the time I submitted it to publishing companies, I had taken out anything that I felt was not something I wanted to share with the general public. Um, Obviously, I understood that publishing it meant that it would not just be like for our own tradition members. Mm And so I, yeah, so I I had already done that shift. Um, They did ask for one thing and it was a really big thing. Um, I had never tried to estimate how many words an incredibly long document like that was going to be. And I estimated wrong. Oh. Um, and so they thought it was going to be a fairly short book, but when it was done, it wasn't. <laughs> and um, they were like, well, honestly, I, we really like the idea of this fairly like short, easy to read book. So I had to cut out 40,000 words. <gasps> wow. <laughs> that's like a whole book. Um, I mean, that's a whole yes. other book. I mean, a short book, but it's yeah. still another book. Wow. Yeah. Um, So I think some of the things that were lost from the book, I'm bummed about some of the things that were lost from the book. Honestly, I, I love the constraints of tight editing. Mm -hmm. When I was an undergrad, I did a lot of work with poetry and I loved the constraint of like only like the most important words. Um, And I kind of enjoyed putting myself in that position when I was writing a lot for grad school. So in a way, there is some pleasure that I take in being like, how can I convey this idea in the minimum number of words? On the mm-hmm. other hand, there, in order to not like lose essential content for understanding, I had to lose things like spells. Yes, it's a book about witchcraft, no spells in it because mm-hmm. I had to take them out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do talk about spellcraft in like a more absolutely philosophical yeah, way chapter about it. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I hope, I hope that it kind of sets up a framework for crafting your own spells and for drawing on your own folkloric influences and your own like life experiences mm-hmm. and needs and creating spell work that is true to like where you are in your specific craft. Nonetheless, people do like to have spells in witchcraft books and I did not provide in the mm-hmm. end. I mean, there are some like ritual outlines and like frameworks for things that I think can be really helpful. The reading it, what, what, I mean, because I had read the training materials that this was based on, like some of it looked very familiar, but the thing that I I got away (laughs) from reading it was that it was kind of like, if I had just met you for coffee multiple times and you're like, Victoria, this is how this tradition works. It was like, it was very conversational in that way. And I was like, that's a really interesting approach to it. Cause I do think for like a mass 
appeal. I mean, as much as mass is in our niche of the world. I know. Um, (laughs) So tiny. Like it, it still feels very um, specific to what you wanted to talk about, but it is kind of couched in this like very, I guess, open, like here's, here's my thoughts on these things based on how I practice in this tradition. And you can take what you want from it. Like it, none of it feels prescriptive, but it does feel descriptive, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that. I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad that comes through. That's absolutely intentional. And, you know, I know you know this, so I'm not really <laughs> telling this to you, but that's kind of how we tend to roll as a tradition. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of flexibility, a lot of openness, and a lot of expectation kind of placed on the person to figure out your specifics, your sense of spiritual ancestry, your like local bioregion. Um, and so, so because this really is kind of coming out of years of teaching, I think it quite reasonably reflects that, that approach to teaching. And I wanted to find some ways to distill some things that I've learned from teaching because I've gotten so much out of the experience of teaching and making sure that some of the things I might say to an apprentice, like in person can come through, um, as much as I can manage in book form, as far as having kind of developed an awareness of ways that different people work and different things that will work for different people and kind of offering some ideas that, um, that I, that I have honestly gotten from experience, um, so I hope it reflects that. I think so. I think it does. Um, one of the things, and I think because it's come out of this experience of teaching, like each chapter for folks who read it, we'll see that each chapter has a set of questions at the end to reflect on and then some practice suggestions. And I think that it's almost, um, it's not textbooky though. Like it, it's kind of an opportunity. It reminded me, like, I almost wanted there to be blank pages in between each chapter. <laughs> I thought it almost it, like, it, so like you could use a like, like workbook, but I know that increases <laughs> yes, like yes. print cost and all that good stuff. But I was like, oh, this, like a workbook format would almost be really amazing for this kind of book too. So that was the original plan. Um, like original, original, like way before the actual publishing plan. Um, there was a period of time where um, I was kind of thinking that it would be more of a workbook format and, um, and also like a little bit more textbooky. Like I, if you remember textbooks as I do, sometimes there are kind of little like side blurbs. So there's like the main text, but then there's kind of these little like pull quotes, almost like mm-hmm. little, I don't know, little colored boxes or whatever along the side. Um, and there were originally going to be some of those things giving, like very specific examples of certain things. And originally I'd hoped for those very specific examples to actually come from people who are not me, like on mostly not me, um, in order to get some like other tradition voices into the text and to see kind of a diversity of practice within these kind of overall ideas. Um, 
but then it became a published book and <laughs> space became a consideration and, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. And contributors are great too, but it's, it's more of a challenge to wrangle all of that too. Mm-hmm. So you have these 40,000 words that you cut from this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have that material separately. So what does writing look like for you now? Like, are you, is writing part of your day to day? I mean, I know you're homeschooling and doing a lot of stuff. So writing is one of those things that takes, takes a time, it takes time away. Cause you can't really do it and like make dinner at the same time kind of thing. So yeah. are, you, are you currently writing? Um, yes, but it has nothing to do with witchcraft. <laughs> uh, I'm writing a business plan. <laughs> um, but there are kind of the nucleus of a couple other books in the works, but, um, it's just not super my focus right now. Um, this particular book needed to happen at this particular time. And so I was often, I would often find myself like holding a baby and typing with the other hand. And that was kind of an interesting experience. However, um, like there are some other aspects of my life that need to be given top priority. And, you know, when I got to the end of this writing process, there were a lot of times where I was shifting a lot to the rest of my family so that I could have time to make deadlines. Um, And I think I'm a few years yet away from a time where I'm super comfortable going back to that level of, um, of place because mm-hmm. yeah, that's just where I'm at right now. No, I, I completely understand. I mean, I did poetry in grad school and basically took 20 years off writing or 18 years off writing to raise my kiddo. So yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel that I didn't really get back to it until he graduated. So yeah, I don't know. I don't recommend waiting that long. Like he was a little more self-contained <laughs> in high school. I think it was just a mental thing for me to take that long a break. So I, I completely yeah. understand. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do write, when you do get to write or when you're working on this book, um, do you have like rituals around your writing or, um, or did you I just do have of- rituals? Yeah. Um, so do you mean like, kind of like the day-to-day rituals? Like I'm going to sit down and write now. And so what do I do? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the kind, those kind of day-to-day things are usually really simple for me unless I'm having some kind of problem. Um, but normally it's kind of like light a candle, maybe some incense, maybe a little smoke cleansing bundle, um, and just kind of real quick kind of get into kind of shift gears from mm-hmm. um, mom and teacher and blah, 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 whatever, to now I'm kind of going into this like, world of words and expression. Um, but then I see books also as kind of having a spirit of their own. And so, um, like be kind of beyond those kind of day-to-day, um, kind of consciousness changes for me. Uh, sometimes I actually do also work with kind of the developing spirit of the book more directly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as an animist, like that, like almost has to be part of the work of writing this kind of book, I would think. Yes. Um, So do you have like a perfect writing 
day or perfect writing setup for you? Like where things are just easier, like, I don't know, kind of weather, temperature, like those kind of things. Oh, well, I think it's better when it's not too nice outside, (laughs) because if it's just a real delight outside, then I would just rather (laughs) be outside. Um, So if the spring ephemerals are blooming, I don't know that I'm excited about writing Um, because or although I I do occasionally bring like a tablet into the woods with me um, and like I'll kind of set the kids up where like the one who doesn't love doing things on paper so much is like kind of building a fort or a bridge over a creek or something. And then the one who does like to write and draw is like doing her own writing and drawing. And then I'm typing on my little foldy tablety thingy. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not a super productive way for me to work. Uh, Definitely being like alone in the room that where I do writing and where my main altar also is a rainy day is just a real delight, although not like scary tornado rain, because we get a lot of that here. So if I'm like nervously awaiting the possibility of running down to the basement, not so much fun. But if it's regular rain, (laughs) I love it. But I love that weather anyway. So Uh, I I do feel like rain is like for some reason for me too, is very creative weather and like in California like I could probably count the number of days oh, it's no. rained since we've lived here on both ends <laughs> yeah. so yeah it's been it's been a, an adjustment to get used to that I don't miss the tornado weather and there's really not such a thing as earthquake weather as far as I know <laughs> so, yeah so really it's just like I really wish it rained more and I and not I am not alone in that I'm sure I think everybody wishes it would rain more right now but um I bet probably not for the same reasons. I mean, I would like it to end the drought, but I would also like it for creative purposes. Yeah. I remember feeling that way when I lived in California too. Yeah. So what do you think, like, because you had the kind of goal you had with this book, when do you think the biggest challenge in writing it was? Um, I mean, honestly, it was just probably the time and energy to do it. Um, because now my kids are a little bit older. And so it is possible for me to say, I I am busy for the next hour. Like, come get me if there's an actual problem. But like, mom, I'm bored. Mom, can I have a snack? We're we're not doing that for the next hour. That's that's a possibility now. Um, But during the time that I was writing the book, that was not a possibility. Um, cause they were just too young to mm-hmm. even, and, and they're fairly chill, um, now, but anyway, um, so just, just literally finding time when I am awake and they are not was very difficult or tr- like trying to occupy them. So I could write a few words. It was just, it was bananas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so honestly, that's not like super about writing, I guess, but just literally finding the time to do it was the hardest part. I don't I think it is about writing. I mean, I think it's one of the things, especially so many of the writers I know personally are women and either they have grown kids now or they have younger children. And it, I mean, it's the same conversation. It's like, how do you, you know, especially if they have a full-time job on top of 
raising children. It's like, where in that, you know, 20 minutes in the morning, am am I going to get a novel finished or or whatever? So I think it's a conversation for a lot of writers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. I think most adults, parents or otherwise perhaps have a lot going on and, um, most of us are not writing as our like, or at least not writing the things we enjoy writing as our uh, full-time profession. So, so what uh, was the best thing about writing a book other than getting it finished? I would imagine. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess I, I really enjoy writing. Like, I just kind of enjoy the process of um, having kind of unformed ideas floating around and then putting them on paper and then being like, okay, how can I do that better and making it better until I finally read it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, that, that conveys mm-hmm. both the message and the tone that I wanted. Um, I, like, I just find that process pretty satisfying. Um, so I like that. And then I also really enjoyed um, sending like draft chapters to people and um, getting their feedback and then integrating that. I found that really interesting. And, um, I, you know, one thing that I think is was difficult for me when my kids were younger and it still can be, but especially when they were younger and just required more like physical care and less kind of like intellectual care. Like now that I'm teaching them, there's more for me to do kind of brain wise. But when I was writing, they were so little that a lot of my care for them was very kind of practical and hands-on and just kind of exercising my brain in that particular way was just sort of a delight, like, Mm -hmm. like stretching a muscle that's been like a little cramped from not moving much for a while or something. Yeah. That makes sense too. Just, um, especially like, you know, when you're home all the time with littles too, it's like, you just talking to a grown up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) writing is kind of like, you know, that kind of same outlet, like your brain is like making full sentences and not single words. (laughs) Yeah. whatever your communication yeah. is with, you know, tiny people, but yeah. no, that, that also makes sense. Um, so in working on the book, did you find that, um, kind of like, I guess, describing your practice and the traditions practice, did you find that it changed anything or deepened anything in your practice while you were writing? I don't know. It's kind of hard to say because I wrote over such a long period of time that I'm not sure I can say my practice deepened and changed because I was writing or just because like years passed. <laughs> and I think, you know, if you're having like an active practice of witchcraft, it is going to deepen and change over the course of years. Mm-hmm. So, yes, but I'm not sure to what degree the writing itself is what created that Mm -hmm. so it just kind of happened because how long actually did it take you to write the book um like most of my daughter's life and she just turned six 
Wow. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good run for a book. And yeah. to have you know an extra forty thousand words that didn't make it in there either. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I'm definitely counting the time that I spent, um, you know, editing out those 40,000 words as writing time, Mm -hmm. because at least for me, the editing is such an important part of the writing. It never comes out the first time exactly the way I want it to be in the end. If someone does that, I really want to talk to them and meet them. Like, have you had to meet a writer who's like, no, I just do it and don't ever look at it again. Like how? Well, I have (laughs) met writers like that. You say that with your eyebrows raised, which no one can see but me. (laughs) I think I know what that means. Yeah, I think you do. So I guess kind of in that realm, like, what do you think is the best advice you've got about writing? I mean, because you've written academically in grad school and you've written this book, which isn't academic per se, but it's definitely, I guess, didactic in that way. So what, you know, what do you think is the best writing advice you've gotten about that kind of writing? Um, advice. Well, I'm not sure this is exactly advice, but, but I think I mentioned this before. Writing poetry, I think, is great training for writing other things. Because if you can convey something complicated in a short amount of words. Obviously the style of writing a paper for whatever or for a book is different, a different style, but still to be able to take something very complicated and perhaps kind of profound and figure out how to say that in a small number of words, that that kind of like whittling down skill, I think takes um takes time, but is, is like the core skill. Like when I read writing that spends too many words saying something that could have been said in a shorter amount of words, I understand why, because it's so difficult, but I also wish they had whittled it down (laughs) a little. Um, (laughs) um, So, so I think like, you know, don't be afraid of the whittling process. Like the fact that you wrote a word doesn't mean it's now sacred and cannot be changed. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea might be sacred, but the words can be um, cut and modified. And um, for some reason, like the, the actual writing advice that jumps out is um, a teacher in undergrad who said to me, um, it doesn't matter that you're good at it. It matters if you do it every day. Um, Mm -hmm. and I totally did not write this book by doing it every day because I couldn't, (laughs) uh, which is kind of funny advice that I'm like, that's pretty good advice. (laughs) Didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there are those kind of truisms like, oh, you know, writer's a person who writes. And if you want to be a writer, you need to write every day. And I'm like, those are great ideas. I mean, I do think a writer is a person who writes, you don't have to be published. You know, you don't have to do any of that to be a writer, but I think the writing every day did not um, involve 21st century life in the middle of, you know, climate crisis, political upheaval, wars, and pandemics. I just don't think that's a realistic thing for anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do know that, um, you know, a lot of people set 
quite stringent goals for themselves in terms of writing. Um, so I, I really can appreciate that, although I do not. Um, <laughs> and I always try and when, you know, when people ask me writing advice, like I like, A, I'm like, A, I'm not a writing sage and B, you know, write when you can write. If you, if you can't, you know, if something's going to burn down because you need to go be alone for an hour and write, then maybe don't let it burn down, write it later, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think a lot of people do get stuck in this idea that if I'm not doing it every day, then I'm not really a writer. And I'm like, mm, no, that's not true. I don't think that's how a lot of books get written. There's not many people who really can write every day. No. And I mean, I've, I've written, you know, read a lot about writers and read a lot of writing advice over the years. And, you know, like there are people who write 500 words a day and they're done. It doesn't matter if it takes them all day or it takes them an hour and a half or 15 minutes or whatever, you know, and their, their goal is 500 words a day and they're done and they can produce 30 books over their lifetime. You know, that's right. And then there are people who are like, no, I write eight hours a day and however many words are on the page, that's when I'm done. And I'm like, so for me, there would be days when there'd be like 10 words <laughs> after eight hours. <laughs> it's like, I got my 10 words in today. It just took me eight hours to do it. So, but it's an, it's an interesting, I don't, I, I just like, I guess in many ways, like witchcraft, I feel the same way about witchcraft that I feel about writing. It's like, no one has all the answers. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's true about witchcraft writing, probably like everything. Yeah. Like no one has all the answers and there's not one way to do it. So, but. so you said there might be a couple other ideas floating around up there. Can you talk about those at all? Or do you want to talk about those at all? Sure. Um, one is kind of a pagan parenting book. Um, and the other one that I think will come later is about um, trauma and ritual. Mm-hmm. Wow. Both of those sound like uh, in-depth projects, I think, that probably both have a lot of research behind them. A very different kind of book than than this one. They sound, but both sound much more research heavy. Yeah, the second one is very research heavy. Um, the first one, you know, probably less so um, mm. because I'm um, not necessarily like trying to trace the history of pagan parenting or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see when I get around to it. <laughs> the kids have to be a little bit older, I think. Yeah. Well, I think the, parent- the pagan parenting book, I mean, there are a few of those floating around, but I do think because so many people approach it differently, I think that would be an, an added bonus for people looking for that kind of work. And I really, the I one, love the surge. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I just, I love the surge of interest in pagan parenting lately. Like I am so excited to see more books being published and they're mostly like aimed at children, like child pagan children's books. But I, I just love it. I'm pumped mm-hmm. about it. And I feel like, um, for so many years, like the only advice I could really give was, well, there's this book called circle round there's puka pages, which the founder of that died recently. So there's not puka pages anymore, but, um, and then, you know, use Waldorf resources because the seasonal approach is still there. So you will be able to kind of pull some 
ideas from those practices and integrate them into your own memoir. Um, but now there's just like, there's like all these other resources out there. And I'm just, I'm really excited about the world of children's book publishing mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. I'm hoping to entice a couple children's pagan children's pagan children's book pagan children. <laughs> yeah like yeah. the words do not want to come together yeah pagan children books books author to come on the the show because i think though it's not something i have read or isn't as much my son is 20 almost 27 so obviously it's not <laughs> yeah not a current need but for me personally no. but it's a, it's a current need in the world and so i really would love to talk to those folks too so if anybody's listening who's a children's book author call me <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also like the second book, um, I guess has an immediate interest for me to, because I do think, and I think you bring this up actually in the witch at the force edge that, you know, there, there is an edge of danger sometimes to head writing or ritual possession and those things that if you have trauma in your past, those can definitely open those wounds or put you in a place you didn't expect to be because you're in this space. And I think even with just day-to-day ritual, if you have religious trauma, just even something that's ritualized, if you come out of a highly ritualized, you know, birth religion or whatever you want to call it, that you were raised in, into paganism, that can be triggering to you to have a hierarchy of things. So I think that's really interesting to talk about. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely true. I mean, we're all coming into our practice of the craft as whole human beings, as people with our traumas, with our diagnoses, with our histories. Um, so of course, I I think there's no way to there's no way to separate our humanness from our witchness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, but also I think at the same time, ritual can be such a powerful catalyst for. Um, working with your own trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, in I absolutely am trained as therapist, super support the <laughs> traditional mental health pathways in no way suggesting that ritual is a substitute for mental health care. But I have certainly found for myself and for others who are close to me that um, doing the work in ritual alongside therapy and medication and whatever else, you know, is called for in an individual's situation can just bring a piece to our own work that is typically missing in conventional mental health care. Yeah. I mean, the spiritual aspect is often left out. I do think the traditional mental health care, um, so yeah. yeah, well, I'll be excited when this book happens, whenever that is. I'll be looking <laughs> yeah. forward. I'll be looking forward to it. Um, so in the interim, if people want to catch you now, where is the best place for people to connect with you? Well, I'm taking like a little, like almost a break from Instagram right now, but you can still find me there at a witch betwixt. Um, but I'm not like posting every day religiously anymore. Um there is a Discord server called Witchcord where I can be found. Um, there's ChristineGraceBetwixt.com, which is my website. 
obviously I'm on the tradition discord. Um, yeah. So good places. So you know this because I sent you a list of questions that our last question is a bit of a game of chance <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to talk about things that, you know, people aren't supposed to talk about. Although I have said this multiple times, the whole podcast is that a tiny bit. Um, so I'm going to roll a die. And for, for you, because I know from the book and from talking and from knowing you that you work with runes, I chose, my son got me a D&D set that has runes on it, a D&D <laughs> dice that have runes on it. So I picked that one out for you. It's very heavy metal, so it's probably going to clank on the desk. And if I roll a one, we get to talk about death, two, sex, three, religion, four, politics, five, money, and six, you get to pick which one you want. Wow. Okay. And I rolled a six, so you get to choose. Oh, well, hmm. I don't know. That's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever you it's want. Tangential. That's fine. It's tangential to your book. Tangential to your book or writing in general is not a totally random question. So Yeah, whatever you want, you pick. I don't care. None of those are like... That's troublesome to me to discuss. Well, I mean, they're not troublesome to me either, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't talk about this directly, but I mean, you do talk about ancestors and working with ancestors in the book of the spiritual and our like lineage, bloodline ancestors. But you don't really talk about like if, because the tradition is not dogmatic in any way, like what happens in your belief system when we die? What happens to us? yeah well so here's the thing I don't really know um and I am okay with kind of living in that state of uncertainty um I know most people are really uncomfortable with that but I am kind of okay with being like I'm not exactly sure how the system works all I know is that from my own experience and from folks who I know we are able to work with our ancestors. So whatever that means about the afterlife is what it is. Um, you know, I, I like to think about um, kind of the literal physical kind of recycling process of a, a body decomposing into soil. And I like to kind of envision at least an aspect of what happens after we die um, being kind of integrated in that way. So spirit wise and body wise, there's like kind of recycling process going on. Um, the idea of kind of like one-to-one reincarnation, like, uh, a whole like spirit is one person. And then in the next life, they're like a new person. And like that, that like soul, that spirit stays like entire throughout that process that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, I'm not saying it's not true. I don't know, but that's not, that's not my favorite theory. Um, so I do, I like the recycling piece, but then if we are recycled in some sense, then how is it that we're interacting with our ancestors? Is there a piece of us that doesn't recycle? Is there, is it like, this is my, this is my favorite that the, the kind of like molecules of us remember where they come from. So even if my grandfather is now like part 
daffodil and like part fish and whatever that when I'm working with my grandfather as an ancestor, the, that process doesn't make it impossible to connect with his spirit, that all those pieces can kind of resonate together, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what happens when we die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did not ask you because I wanted your, you know, you to pronounce for everyone, but I was curious about <laughs> your actually. Yeah. I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I, I don't really know. I'm okay with it. I didn't know where I was before I got here. Um, and that's never bothered me really. Um, but yeah, I, I have the same recycling thought too. Like if I can have this relationship with ancestors, they can't be a hundred percent reincarnated. So I'm kind of Mm -hmm. come away with the same, like, how does this work? (laughs) Question. But no, I mean, it's something I do think about it a lot. And partly, I mean, it's partly because of the theme in my writing is, you know, kind of this interaction with the, the afterlife and ancestors and things like that's a big part of my, my fiction writing. So it's something I think about a lot and I'm always curious as to what people where they are in that realm of what they think happens. It's something I love as a teacher. And I think because I have sort of an open-ended, like I'm kind of comfortable with having a kind of open-ended perspective. Mm -hmm. um, It's not like threatening or upsetting to me to hear like a very different perspective, Mm -hmm. but everybody wants to talk about it. And it always comes up because we're talking about ancestors. We're talking about, being able to have relationships with ancestors. So what does that mean? And it always comes up and everybody has like a slightly different perspective. Um, and it's something I really like discussing. Mm-hmm. Oh, same, same, same. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. And I'm glad we got to talk about lots of other things. And um, so hopefully the podcast lasts long enough that when you write your pagan parenting book and your trauma book, you can be, come back on the show and we'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a good long run. That would be great. So, but oh, Christine, I, thank I you so much. Wish that for you. Oh, <laughs> yes, well. thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Bolt Press and is edited by Kaifel Agostini, who also designed our logo. Our music is Voices, composed for us by Alexander Shanekar. You can support our work, get early access to episodes, ask your own death, sex, religion, politics, money question, and get some free stuff by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash witchlitpod. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at witchlitpod. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other witches find the show. Thanks for listening and for reading witchy.